재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 This March, we're doing a new series in our Planet Korea segment, Made in Korea. Over the course of the month, we're going to walk you through the international proliferation of various facets of Korean culture, showing you how these things get made, why they're so popular abroad, and where they'll be going next. The very first nugget of culture we'll be hearing about is perhaps the most thunderous and definitely the catchiest, K-pop. Our team member, GP1, has the rest of the story. Okay, okay. go. 안녕하세요. K-pop. What do you think you know about it? Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. To help us get a better idea of exactly how big a deal K-pop really is, I'm going to be enlisting the help of my good friend Min. She's going to be laying down some fun facts. We'll call it K-pop quiz. Hi, I'm Min from As One, here to drop some K-pop knowledge on you. In 2012, the Korean Ministry of Culture, Sports, and Tourism estimated Hallyu, or the Korean Wave's economic asset value, at 83.2 billion U.S. dollars, of which 5.26 billion is attributable to the domestic music industry. According to the Financial Post, the South Korean government invests roughly 25 times more to nurture its pop culture industry than any other country. with the hopes of spreading Korean culture worldwide. So, while K-pop's lack of English friendliness and out-of-nowhere global takeover may make its momentum easy to dismiss, the Korean government has seen a hefty return on investment. To find out what exactly was responsible for the music that has put Korean culture on the map and to figure out how the K-pop sausage gets made, I went behind the scenes to a recording and production studio where I was lucky enough to get a tour guided by an up-and-coming singer-songwriter. Welcome to the Iconic Sound Studio. My name is Su Jung Pei or Sophia Pei. I am a singer-songwriter. I debuted last July with the song 사랑할 거예요 or Still Loving You. Giving GP here a little sticker. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely sticker. I'm going to take a few hundred and plaster them all over the station. Okay, so you want to give me the tour? Yes, I shall. So you are currently standing in our meeting area slash waiting room. Production happens in a lot of the smaller studios. Signed CDs from the artists. This that is our main for. studio. In the case so of K-pop groups, where there are like 20 members. Recording booth. Boa in there. I think Tiffany from Girls Generation. You know, while one's recording, then the other 19 members can sit and chill. Speaking of huge K-pop groups. According to SM Entertainment CEO Kim Young-min, about 3 billion won, which is roughly 2.4 million U.S. dollars, was spent discovering and training just one member of the now eight-member group, Girls' Generation. To put that into perspective, the National Tax Service estimated the average annual earnings for a K-pop idol in 2013 to be 46.7 million won, which is about $42,000 at the time. DJ, put it back on. Back to the studio now. Sujung has participated in various collaborative songwriting camps, so I asked her to walk me through the different ways in which a K-pop song can go from concept to worldwide craze. 
we do things in different ways. So a lot of times when we write for other artists, like in a songwriting camp, these guys, Max is part of a team called Command Freaks along with Dr. An. My name is An and I'm tech producer. Yeah, I'm good at the synthesizing, making the sound and the mixing. Yeah. My name is Max and I'm a track producer and top liner. They will produce a track and then the top liners will go and make a melody and write lyrics over it and then record the whole thing. So that's what happens at a songwriting camp. But today, on this project that we're working on right now, because it's for my personal album, we're doing things a little differently. So we're trying to make it a bit more of an organic process. We just started from the very beginning. We just played around with some chords on the guitar. We found a chord progression that we liked. And then we started writing a melody over that. And now they're trying to fill out the track It started off pretty bare. We just had some guitars and some keys, but we're trying to fill it out with drums and the whole shebang. Could I hear? Could I hear that? (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing. The first moment when we started the session, we we got just this chord, like a. Just this. And, and uh, that, that was you playing, Max? Uh, yeah. It's, it was horrible, but it's just kind of a really life. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Just We got just four bars, and then we're just writing together. It's just like, like a top lining. Mm-hmm. Like... Some, something like that. And then if we really enjoy the melodies, and then we're just building up with, the, with these chord and melodies, like... Uh, drums going in something like that and then on I'm gonna play the keyboards and then kind of you know sound making like arrangement we we put the bass on here something like that and then put Beautiful EP. Like that. Do you have a name for this song yet? No, we don't because... So obviously I'm more comfortable in English. So I wrote some scratch lyrics in English and that's what you heard. Um, but since this song is going to be released in the Korean market, I'm in the process of writing Korean lyrics right now. Do you generally write in English first and then uh, change it over to Korean if that's uh, if the song is going to be in Korean or do you write in Korean and then that's just that? It depends on what projects we're doing. When we're writing songs for other artists, generally there'll be a separate lyricist. So just to make it quicker and easier for us, we will just write in English. Um, sometimes, like in the case of Sarang Akoyo, my first single, I just wrote Korean lyrics straight up because it was a very Korean song. So it differs from project to project. Sujung's yet unnamed track. Will it be a hit? Will it cross over like only a handful of others have? The very first K-pop song to enter the mainstream Billboard Hot 100 was the Wonder Girls' 2009 hit single, Nobody. Since then, four more Korean songs have made it to the prestigious chart. Gangnam Style, Gentleman, Hangover, and Daddy, all by the same artist, Psy. 
Before it makes its way to any chart, domestic or international, it's got to get approved. So my next question was, who decides what tunes will be stuck in the heads of millions of K-pop fans worldwide? Who decides what dances I'll be mimicking when I think no one's watching? Well, let me just first specify that in the West, you'll have record companies who will help you produce the music. And then you have management companies who help promote the artist and manage the artist's career. But in Korea, that is combined. So in Korean record companies, you will have these teams of A&Rs. A&R stands for Artists and Repertoire. They're record label agents usually responsible for talent scouting and developing of artists. So in the West, an A&R's role is to go out and find up-and-coming artists and bring them to the record company. But in Korea, the role of A&R is not only to manage the artists, but to bring in the songs as well. So the A&Rs are actually the ones who will find the reference tracks and come to us, the production companies, with those references, get the songs, and then they will go back to their own companies, and then they will have... I guess some sort of system where a song gets approved at various levels, going all the way up to the CEO. And in some cases, the artist is involved as well. So it really just depends on what these various people are looking for. I mean, what the A&R is looking for may also be different from the CEO and the artist. So we might write a song that's very much like the reference track, but it might not get picked up just because it just doesn't have that sparkle, maybe. But we could write something completely different, which they absolutely love. Um, It's all a game of chance, I think. Let's say a song does get the green light. It gets recorded. Then, of course, comes the next key component. Wow, fantastic, baby. The dance. Right outside brand new music right now. This is where the dance studio is. It's literally a door between two other buildings. Going downstairs. Let's check this out. The studio was far more humble than I had anticipated. No larger than a kimbap restaurant, two of its cement walls were wrapped in mirrors, as you might expect, and in the corners were large speakers that sat precariously on top of their tripods. In the center of it all were eight dancers designing an upcoming performance for legendary singer Lee Seung Chul. You may recognize him as the aviator glasses-wearing judge from one of those talent search elimination shows. After they finished, I approached one of the members, a dancer and musician by the name of Como, to find out how he felt about K-pop dance and what trends were responsible for taking the music and the culture so far out of their native country. Other countries have their own styles. In Spain, there's salsa. In another country, there's bossa nova. And in another, they have blues. In Korea, we have music unique to us, like trot. With K-pop, we have more repetitive songs, and of course, it's the same with dance routines. We match the songs with easy-to-follow repetitive moves, and that's naturally become definitive of K-pop. In terms of dance, many foreigners follow our choreographies and upload them onto portal sites like YouTube. And while watching those, they seem to be into moves that are funny or a little interesting or amazing. But on top of that, when you watch Korean choreography, they're so in sync. 
like robots. And unlike before, because I've been dancing for a while, when you watch old broadcasts, there weren't a lot of genres. But these days, there's street dance, classic, without any differentiation. They're all integrated, creating so many different images. So I think it's been upgraded a lot. The words he used, repetitive, easy to follow, robotic, don't always carry the most positive connotations, but the singers, songwriters, choreographers, and decision makers have turned these generally negative terms into one of K-pop's biggest strengths. His answer reminded me of Su Jung's explanation of K-pop's distinguishing philosophy and perhaps a key to its success thus far. Instead of starting from like a raw musical ability or talent, I think, and it's not just K-pop, I think Korean culture in general goes with the idea that anything can be improved or learnt, or learnt and improved. So they think, you know, if people have that X factor in terms of being a celebrity, because it's not just about talent, is it? You kind of need that stage presence and that charisma as well if you want to be a celebrity. And I think Korea sometimes starts off with that first, then they teach them the singing ability, the dancing ability. So the process may be a bit backwards to what some of our listeners may be used to, but, I mean, that's what works in Korea. It's what works in Korea, and apparently that success has scaled internationally as well. As Min is back again to inform us. You don't have to look very far to find a non-Korean singer in a K-pop group. But did you know that musicians all over the world are also catching the wave? Auditions for Korean music competition shows have been held in New York, Beijing, and Tokyo. And the hits themselves have inspired both multilingual covers as well as entirely non-Korean K-pop acts. Whatever the industry is doing, however they're doing it, it's gotten them this far. But will the movement fade as quickly as it came? Will listeners simply grow out of it? I asked Como how K-pop needed to progress in order to stay relevant and maintain its presence both here in Korea as well as worldwide. K-pop K-pop itself, the songs themselves, probably wouldn't have been all that popular. K-pop songs are an element of Korean culture. There's the video, music, and lots of other elements to K-pop, as well as many celebrities performing a lot overseas. That's why I think K-pop has become so popular. As we've created the music culture little by little, foreigners have started to enjoy it as well, and K-pop has become more popular. But if Korean contents aren't featured in them and the music stays stagnant at this point, people will get sick of it, like we do when we eat the same food over and over again. It should be more Korean, like using Korean instruments and integrating them into the melody, creating more Korean music to go along with the popularity of K-pop. And as you know, a lot of old songs have been revived recently, so we mix all these elements together. I think we'll create a new and more interesting culture, and it'll become even better. And those who loved K-pop before will continue to love it.
GP1 there with the first installment of our Made in Korea series, the story of how K-pop continually reinvents itself. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. The second episode of Made in Korea, airing next week, will be told to you in an Australian voice. Hansel Ju will be reporting all about Hanshik's transcendence of both national and ethnic barriers. But for now, that's it for this special Saturday edition of Koreascape. Our show is produced by Christina So. Associate production is done by Jamie Lee. And writing and reporting is by GP Wen, who you just heard from a moment ago. I'm Kurt Asian. Remember to follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. Koreascape, just one word, is the handle on those platforms. And join us on Monday. We'll be back with Culture Pulse and Theory of Korea. We'll see you then.